0: Take your Bibles this morning once again and turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 as we look again at this very familiar passage of Scripture. Now let me explain to you the reason, well, one of the reasons that I chose to change from what we were doing in the Gospel of Luke as we were gathered corporately to just focus in a little bit on Psalm 23. I'm not trying to be prophetic about this moment. I don't know all that God is doing in this moment, but I do know this. That any time God disrupts our lives, any time God brings this kind of change to our lives, he is trying to do something new in our lives. Disruption is always an invitation to new revelation. Disruption is always an invitation into new revelation. It's God saying, hey, listen, I've got something new for you. I wanna share some things with you. And so there's no question in my mind that God is doing something new and fresh in us or he wants to do that. And part of my role as a pastor is not to just look at what God is going to do and cast a vision for the future, but to try to discern what God is doing now. What's God doing right now? To discern the times and the seasons. And one of the things I'm hoping that God will do is that he would give us a little spiritual marker for this moment that as we look back and reflect upon this moment and years to come, that we might have a place to go, specifically Psalm 23, and we might go to that text and be reminded of some lessons that God taught us, some of which I'm sharing now, some I'm sharing in my midweek update, but some that God is giving you that are completely different than what I'm sharing with you. But I want us to have a spiritual marker for this moment to always go back and say, listen, I can, I can turn to Psalm 23 and be reminded of some really neat things that God did in this moment. A lot of those things we're not gonna be able to fully understand until we get on the other side of this moment, but I'm hoping that Psalm 23 serves that purpose for us. Let me remind you real quickly what we talked about last week, that Psalm 23 is in the middle of three messianic psalms, three psalms that are all pointing us forward prophetically to the coming of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 points us to the first coming of Jesus, when he is suffering for our salvation. Psalm 22 is about our justification. Through the suffering of Jesus, we are able to be made right with God. Jesus was forsaken, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we might be accepted by God the Father, Psalm 22. Then Psalm 24 is a prophetic picture of Jesus' second coming that one day Jesus will come and rule and reign, establishing his kingdom on earth, restoring life as it was meant to be. The king of glory is going to come in, the Lord Almighty. So Psalm 24 is about our coming glorification, the completion of our salvation. And right in the middle of those two is Psalm 23, which is a picture of Jesus right now between his first coming and his second coming. Jesus, who is inviting us to follow him and saying that if we follow him, he will lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For the sake of his name, so that he might be made known, he will lead us in the paths of righteousness. Psalm 23 is a picture of our sanctification, what it means to walk with Jesus Christ right now. And it gives us a picture of what this path looks like, the ups, the downs, the valleys, the mountains, what it looks like to walk with Jesus right now. So this morning, having an understanding of why Psalm 23 exists, to help us know how to walk the path of righteousness with Jesus, who John 10 is the good shepherd, I want us to begin walking through this passage line by line and I want us to begin this morning by looking at the first five words, the Lord is my shepherd. First of all, let's look at our Bibles and listen. As I read, you can look along with me or you can even read out loud if you'd like to. Psalm 23, here it is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now this idea, this metaphor, this picture of the Lord as a shepherd is one that is used throughout scripture. You could trace it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But the first place that this is used is actually quite helpful for us in understanding how David uses it in Psalm 23. The first place we see this idea is in Genesis 49, when Jacob, before his death, is blessing his sons. All of his sons are gathered around and one by one, he goes one by one and blesses all of them, and then he comes to a blessing he puts on Joseph. You remember Joseph? We know some things about his life. Joseph was a man who God had his hand upon. He was anointed for a special purpose. God knew that one day he would rule and reign, but he was the youngest of the brothers. And because of that, his brothers despised him. They knew that something special was about his life and they hated him. They, remember, threw him in a pit and then they sold him as a slave. He was then taken away and spent at least 10 years isolated in a prison where he was forgotten. Joseph suffered a great amount, rejected by his family and forgotten by everyone. And so in Genesis 49, when Jacob gives this blessing to Joseph, listen to what he says. Genesis 49, starting in verse 22. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, for there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, and by the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. In other words, Jacob knew that Joseph had experienced in his life the Lord as a shepherd. So the first time we ever get this idea of the Lord as a shepherd is in the life of Joseph. Now that's really interesting because the similarities between the life of Joseph and the life of David. There's a lot of similarities, but the two primary similarities are this. The similarities of solitude and suffering. Solitude and suffering. Both of these men spend an intense amount of time in solitude and in suffering. We don't often think about David this way, but let's think about David's solitude and David's suffering. Now, first, David's solitude. Now, we get this picture when David went out to fight Goliath that David had these older brothers, and the older brothers, like Joseph, despised him, thought he was useless, and uh, they kind of describe him that way, and we get this idea that David, not old enough or big enough or strong enough to go with his older brothers to battle, was left at home to do the job no one else wanted to do, and that was to tend sheep. So we get this picture of, of David just kind of pushed off to the side, intending sheep. I, I I'm sure I have no earthly idea whatsoever, but I'm sure it was hard work and difficult work, but at the same time was a work that left you with a lot of time alone, just you and sheep. And I don't know what it's like to talk to sheep, but I would imagine there's not a ton of meaningful interaction, meaning that David spent a lot of time in solitude. I have no idea what was going on in David's mind, but Being the youngest of a brother, you know what it's like, I know what it's like to see your other brothers doing this and wonder why you're not able to do this. And what David didn't realize is that God had a plan for David. And in order for David to be the man that God wanted him to be, David needed that time in his early life to be absolutely alone so that in the solitude, he could think deeply about the Lord. And that's exactly what David did. That as he was all alone with no phone, no iPad, no TV, no distractions, no headphones, no music, David alone in the field with his sheep, looking at the stars, looking at the beautiful landscapes, meditating on the things of the Lord. We know this because he tells us. Psalm 63:6. 6, David says this, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Psalm 119, 148. David says, my eyes awaken before the watches of the night that I might meditate on your promise. So in all of this time alone, what David is doing is he's thinking about the Lord. He's meditating upon the Lord. And the reason that we have all of these Psalms, the journals of David, and the reason they minister so much to us is because in all of that time that might have been thought of as wasted time, David spent those moments alone meditating on the things of the Lord and as a result, had a deeply rooted confidence and love and understanding of the things of God and God himself. He was a man who spent a considerable amount of time in solitude and as a result, was able to think deeply about the Lord. It's a reminder of how in the busyness of everything going on in our lives, if we want to have a deeply rooted love and understanding of the Lord, we must get alone and be quiet and let God reveal himself. But not only David's solitude, but David's suffering also very much like Joseph. I was talking about this with my family this week and we were talking about how when you think of David, you don't often think of suffering, You think of Goliath, you think of him as a mighty warrior, you think of him on the run a little bit, you think of him as a great and mighty king, uh, visions of building a temple. You think about all of these things in his life but you don't think about the immense suffering. But you know David, like Joseph, rejected by his brothers, despised by his brothers, who as a result of all of this, of God's hand upon his life, ended up being anointed as king before Saul was done being king, and Saul spent years chasing David as David hid in caves and wandered in the wilderness, knowing that there was a man ready to kill him. Do You know that David had a son that abused one of David's daughters, and then another son ended up killing that son? Do you know that David had a child who died? Do you know that after all of this, David had a son who tried to take over his throne And again, later in his life, after spending tons of years doing this before, David had to run again and hide in caves from a son who wanted to take over his throne. Then that son died. And in the midst of all of that, you have David's consequences of his own sin and all of the foolish things that he did. I mean, any one of these things, having a daughter that was abused, a son that killed another son, a baby that died, all of these things, one of these things would be enough to crumble any of us, but yet David experienced all of those things. Now here's here's why I think that matters in understanding Psalm 23. The connection between Joseph and David is this. These are both men that spend incredible time in solitude and suffering. And I believe the reason that David was able to come to the end of his life and say this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, is because it was through the solitude and through the silence and through the suffering that he began to experience the goodness of the Lord that he would not have experienced God as a good shepherd if it wasn't for these things in his life now let's just think about that phrase that he writes just a minute the Lord is my shepherd now, let's let's look at a few of those words first of all let's think about that word the Lord the Lord Now that is the word that God gave to Moses in Exodus three as God reveals himself to Moses so that Moses might then reveal him uh, to the rest of the people of Israel. Meaning that this is God's self-revelation. God is saying, I want you to know me. It is the covenant name of God. I want to be knowable. I want you to know me. And because I want you to know me, I'm gonna reveal myself to you. You know that this is how it always works. None of us would know God if God would not have graciously revealed himself to us. We only know him through revelation. And so he reveals himself to Moses. And he gives him this word, I am. I am the Lord. I am who I am. It is a word that pictures God as absolute, divine, sovereign. He is the almighty one. He is the one who rules and reigns over all things. He is the eternal one, the self-sufficient thing, the self-sufficient one. He needs nothing else apart from himself to exist. But the more I think about the Lord and this idea of this strong and mighty, eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient one, I have to say, the most mind-blowing part about the Lord is the fact that He absolutely has perfect knowledge and perfect rule over all things. Okay, so we talked about David meditating on the Lord. Let's meditate for just a minute. Let's think about what it means for the Lord to have absolute and perfect knowledge. What that means is this, there is nothing that God doesn't know. That means everything about you, past, present, future, God knows. God knows every thought, he knows every motive, he knows every intention of your heart. The reason we might often see a counselor is because a counselor is someone who is gifted to be able to discern things about us maybe we can't see. Why do I do this? Why do I act this way? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I responding this way? And they'll help us to discern that. Meaning we don't really understand ourselves that well. But think about the fact that your life is incredibly complicated and yet God knows every single detail of your life, every motive, every intention, every thought. There is nothing about you that God does not perfectly understand. Now, times that by 7.8 billion. (laughs) Right now, God knows the thoughts, the intentions, the heart of every single individual person in the world. Absolute and perfect knowledge. That's mind-blowing. But not only that, he has absolute rule, meaning the Lord is taking everything in your life and orchestrating that together with the 7.8 billion people in the world to ensure that everything that happens is accomplishing the plan that he set forth before the foundation of the world and he's been doing this generation after generation after generation after generation. It's absolutely mind blowing to think about the power of our God the knowledge of our God, the rule and sovereignty of our God who is working everything out according to his plan. So David says, this is, this is the Lord. And that God who has overseen all of those things, David said, is my shepherd. He's my, he's my shepherd. Now the fact that David calls the Lord a shepherd means that it says something about David and about the Lord it says something about David. David knew sheep. He had spent much of his early life with sheep. And David comes to the end of his life and he's reflecting upon his life and he thinks to himself this, you know what, I'm a lot like a sheep. Which is not a compliment, it's one of those things that if David didn't say about himself we couldn't say it about him. But we're thankful he said it, but we couldn't say it. Because sheep are not the smartest of animals that they are fearful and they're stubborn. They're helpless and they're wandering and they're just a little bit dumb. And when we think of David, we think about a mighty warrior. We think about a strong shepherd. We think about a giant killer. We think about a king. But when David thinks back up on his life, he says actually in reality, even though you may see me as a giant killer and a king, you know what I really am? David says most of my life I've been a fearful, Stubborn, helpless, wandering sheep. Just a little bit dumb. Who could have never made it if I wouldn't have had someone shepherding me? David knows he's a sheep. Now I have uh, two animals that I kind of identify with. As I say that phrase, it sounds a little bit odd, but there are two animals that have been significant to me through my life, and one of them is because when I was a kid, my mother gave her three sons what she called a word picture, meaning she gave all of us a little picture of something that she was praying for us about, and it was also kind of intended to be a little bit prophetic for us. Like, I'm, I'm praying that God would make you into this, and mine was an eagle. I've often wondered, it's because she knew I was gonna be a bald eagle. I don't know exactly her motive, uh, but she, she said, Josh, I want you to be an eagle. I want you to fly above the ordinary. I want you to wait up on the Lord and get new strength. And so my whole life, my mom would speak those words over me of being an eagle, and she would give me things that had to do with eagles. And then a few years later, I came to Proverbs 28.1, which became one of my favorite verses. It says this, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so if you were to come to my office, you would see all kinds of lions, there's pictures of lions, statues of lions, there's eagles everywhere. Because when I think think about myself, I think of a majestic eagle that is soaring over the mountains. And I think of myself as a roaring king of the jungle, a lion, it sounds much worse now that I'm saying it out loud and it's not just in my head, but that's how I view myself, me and my mother. I view myself this way as a majestic eagle and a roaring lion. But the reality is, is that I'm a sheep. I'm stubborn. I'm fearful. I'm wandering. I'm helpless, a little bit dumb, and completely unable to do anything on my own without the help of someone else outside of me. What David is saying is this, I've come to the realization at the end of my life that no matter what I thought I was, I was really just a sheep, and the Lord shepherded me day by day and moment by moment. We sang a minute ago about the goodness of the Lord, a song that a three-year-old can sing but a song that seems much more powerful when an 83-year-old sings it and gives declaration in the assembly. All of my life, you've been faithful. All of my life, you've been so, so good. There's just something a little more powerful about an 83-year-old singing it than a three-year-old singing it. So David, at an older age, is saying that I've realized I'm just a sheep. And the Lord has cared for me and protected me and taken care of me and watched over me and led me in the path of righteousness and I could have never made it without him. But maybe the most important word is the word my. The Lord, the almighty, the sovereign, the ruler of all things with absolute knowledge and absolute rule is my shepherd. He is leading me and guiding me in a way that was absolutely necessary and he's mine. Do you know that in Psalm 23 there are 16 personal pronouns? 16. This is an extremely personal and intimate look into the life of David. I don't know if he ever knew he would read it. I'm not sure he knew that he was writing something that generation after generation would receive and hear and cling on to. I think David was just writing down in his journal saying, you know what, the Lord has been my shepherd, meaning that eternal sovereign almighty one is also the one who wants to be known. He's also the one that wants to come alongside of you and be an active part of your everyday life. David says the Lord is my shepherd. I have personally experienced the work of the Lord in my life. So when I think about Joseph, when I think about David, I think that the most profound point in understanding the Lord as our shepherd is simply this that it is in our times of solitude and it is in our times of suffering that we come to understand just how good the shepherd really is. I'm not sure David would have written this sentence. I'm not sure Joseph would have been associated with the good shepherd if they both had not experienced solitude and suffering. Meaning, If you take all the things about Joseph's life and all the things about David's life that they probably wished they hadn't experienced, it was actually those things that made them into the men that God made them to be. It was those things that allowed them to say, the Lord has been my shepherd. And can I just say, this is how it works? This is how it works in the paths of righteousness, that God is good and he wants you to know his goodness. He wants you to experience his grace. He wants you to know what it's like to have the joy that is found in his presence. He is inviting you into intimacy and the way in which he invites you in is through disruption. Remember what I said when we beginning. Disruption is an invitation to revelation. When God disrupts us, it's because he's inviting us to know more about him. And so could it be that in these moments in which everything is disrupted, that God's inviting you to revelation? That God is saying, I want you to be able to look back and say, all my life you have been faithful. I want you to look back and say, the Lord has been my shepherd. I am who I am because of what God has done. But the only way for us to get to that point it's for us to know that it is through those moments of disruption that we get to be that kind of person. Now, I love you, and I long for you to be that person. I long for you to walk the path of righteousness, but we can only do it when we don't resent the times of solitude and suffering, but instead embrace them as an invitation to know God more intimately and experience more of his joy and peace. But some of that, depends upon you. Some of that depends upon you. Jesus is the good shepherd and he is inviting you to come under his care. He is inviting you to follow him. But first, you must receive him as your shepherd. John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I love mine, I know mine. I don't lose any of them. But listen to me. None of the promises in Psalm 23 matter to you unless first you can say the Lord is my shepherd. I love corporate psalms. I love when David talks to the congregation. But listen, this is not one of those. This is about you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you say right now, the Lord is my shepherd? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the payment for your sins? Have you recognized that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray? We have all gone our wicked way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on Jesus Christ so that Jesus took all of the consequences of our sin himself on the cross. He was forsaken by the Lord so that we might be brought in knowing that we're sheep and needed a shepherd. God the Father gave us Jesus but you must receive him personally to say, Lord, I'm ready for you to save me. I'm submitting to your leadership over my life. I want you to be my shepherd. And the moment you call upon the name of the Lord, confess your sins and ask him to save you, he becomes your shepherd. You must receive him. You must also trust him. You must trust that he has perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom, perfect rule. He has perfect goodness, and he knows exactly what he's doing in your life. He is a good, good shepherd. In every moment of solitude and suffering, the enemy is going to get you to question the goodness of the shepherd. I'm here to tell you based upon the authority of the word of God and my own personal experience, the shepherd is good. And I just want you to be able to come someday into a congregation, gathering together, and be able to sing that all of my life, God has been faithful all of my life. He has been so, so good, why? Because you recognize you were a sheep in need of a shepherd and you met Jesus Christ and you trusted him with your life and experienced his goodness. I pray that that would be true of every one of us. Let's pray together this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.